And ladies, if you did not get your tote bag, raise, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you didn't, I think we're out. Somebody not, there were like three in the box when I came in the room. So what we are going to do is we're going to order 25 more. We ordered 50, but we're going to order some more. So if, if you didn't get one and uh, you wanted one or you, you're, uh, maybe you're not going to be here next week or, or whatever, you can send somebody to get one. We want every lady to, to have one. So we're going to order it. Now, it'll take it. I said next week like we're going to get them in a week. That ain't happening. Uh, it'll be a few weeks. But we're going to order some more for you uh, so that uh, everybody can get one. So don't worry about that. Um, we do thank you, uh, ladies, for raising us. Uh, some of y'all didn't have any of your own kids, and, but you probably raised a lot of them. I had a great aunt that way who uh, I think I've probably told y'all before. Uh, her name was Tressie. We didn't call her Aunt Tressie. We called her Two Mama because she was, like, she was my grandmother's sister. There, there are folks who were like mothers to us who weren't mothers, but... Uh, so we want every lady here to, to have one of those. Like I said, if you didn't get one, we're going to get some more for you. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are beginning our new series this morning, our, our new book of the Bible we're in, 2 Thessalonians, A Confident Stand. That's the, the general theme of the entire letter, the entire uh, uh, well letter. It's a book in our Bible, but it's just a... a short little letter. And that's the theme we're going to be looking at. This morning, our message title is The Church and the Christ. Today, the sermon's going to be a little different uh, just how, than how I've been doing as we've preached through these uh, Connect Group lessons because I'm not preaching 1 through 12 today. I'm going to be preaching 1 and 2. But we'll get there in just a second with a new book comes a new memory verse and Justin told you about the bookmarks you can get that have the memory verse on them y'all did a great job of memorizing 1 Thessalonians 1 4 and 5 this basically month because we're only going to be in 2 Thessalonians I think it's four maybe five weeks we got a, a long verse to remember and not as many weeks to go over it so let me encourage you to take one of these uh, they will be up here on the rail, or they're in the uh, information rack next to the Welcome Center, where you get your coffee and your donuts. There's a thing hanging on the wall. They are in there. But we have our verse to begin to go over, begin, or, or to begin to memorize by going over it together. So let's read our memory verse for this new section. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. It's a lot of words this time around. I think it's a great verse for us to memorize, and I'm confident you all can do it. This morning's message, like I said, is a little bit different. It is, instead of going through the entire passage, we are sticking with verses 1 and 2. This is a doctrinal message. 
and, and don't, don't, don't nobody groan or roll your eyes. Doctrine is where we stand. We are Baptists. We are Southern Baptists. We are Evangelical. We are Protestant. We are Christian. How, all those labels define our church, and we are those things because of the doctrine upon which we stand. And we're going to look at two doctrines this morning because Paul introduces them in this letter. He does it, does it subtly uh, because he doesn't expound on this at all, but it's the phrasing he uses, and it is on the doctrine of the church and the doctrine of Christ. When he starts off this letter... Uh, to, to them, he says, he gives three names, Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy, and, and Silvanus we know of as Silas in Acts. Paul and Silas were in prison singing hymns in an earthquake, and they got out of prison. That's the same Paul and Silas in this passage. We read about them in Acts 17. He writes this letter, uh, Paul does, but tells them it's coming from these three guys who were basically the pastors slash planters of this church, this first church in Thessalonica. And he does this for uh, 1 Thessalonians as well as 2 Thessalonians. He says, from these guys that you know, from these men that, that you're aware of, the ones who were there when, when your church started and were there up until they got run out of Thessalonica and have been a part of what you're doing by letter, in this case, uh, a second letter, and had, Paul had sent Timothy back at least a couple of times. He may have made three or four trips, depending on uh, how many letters he wrote and how, who took the letters. This is the, the Paul would have been the, the pastor, uh, Silas Silvanus would have been the associate pastor, and Timothy would be coming along as the junior associate. He would have been the one learning uh, from the other two guys. What we see here is a, basically a church staff in agreement. Paul is writing to the church from the church staff. All of us have gotten together. We've talked about this. Timothy's been to visit with you, and he understands the question. He's told me the questions you have, and we sent that first letter to answer some of those questions. And when he took that letter, he brought back some more questions. And here is us writing to you to answer those questions too. He said all that in the one verse, two verses where he used none of those words. But that's what he's saying to them. I got you covered. Because we are here as a staff for you as a church. Well, this is vital for ministry effectiveness and, and, a, and a confident stand. The church needed this teaching, needed this encouragement, this exhortation from their, in this case, former staff. But not really. Paul never quite let loose of the churches he planted. That's why we have the letters. There's this uh, wonderful relationship that was kept up that's really different from anything we have today, but it was necessary at that time. With this encouragement, Paul is beginning even with just the opening. Hey, y'all, this is from me, Silas, and Timothy. He is telling them they can stand confidently in what they are, uh, what he is, uh, has taught them and the faith that they hold. And as I said, this morning, it's going to be a doctrinal message uh, for us because doctrine is how we take a confident stand in our faith. We have to know what we believe. 
But we, we can't just know what we believe. We might be able to say we believe something, but why do we believe that? Why do we believe that to be truth? And this morning we're looking at the church and Christ and the doctrine of both of those. This will be the first time in my memory that I can think of that I might get to a point in this message and go, no, I can't finish this before supper. We better, we better cut off here and preach the rest of it next Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try to get through it, but there, there's uh, some good stuff here that I think we need to cover. The verse, the verse says we're looking at are short. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says a mouthful there in, in what sounds just like a simple greeting. First, he says something fundamental about the church. Again, it doesn't look like he says much at all. He just says, to the church. Well, first of all, we know, especially in the first century, Paul is not concerned or considering, concerned about or considering any type of church building. At best, they met at a house. Some churches met outside. I'm not familiar with any church that had their own building in the first century, certainly not, in this case, a couple of years after the church was started. So he is not writing to a, uh, an entity of any sort. He's not writing to an organization. He is writing to a people. He's writing to a people, not the building. So we need to understand that as we move forward. He is very intimately involved. As a matter of fact, as he's writing this letter, he probably has in mind, it's very uh, likely, Timothy, in coming back after delivering the first letter, said, you know, oh, so-and-so was still asking about this. I don't think he quite got it. Um, and, and they've got so-and-so here and, and that one over there and there. They were talking about some of these things, so you might want to address that. So Paul, very likely, is writing with, very, with specific people in mind as he looks at this letter and looks at all the things there. They're asking him about and saying, yeah, yeah, and, and if I say this, you know, George over there, he's going he's gonna to think this, you know, let me make sure I, I cover this as well because he's going he's gonna to hold me to that one right there. That's the sort of thought process he's in as he writes to this group of people. Now, it's okay, we go to church. We're, we're talking about going to worship, we talk about going to be with the, the people that we know and love as our church family, and we talk about going to the building. I was up at the church this week. I was, we got to do some work at the church. We gotta, they repainted the church. The church nearly blew down in a hurricane. You know, we, we know what we're talking about when we say that, and that's okay, but let's not miss the deeper meaning and keep the difference in mind. Paul is writing to people. Paul through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the preservation of uh, the people God used over time, is giving us today, this body of believers, the words of Jesus from God through the Holy Spirit on paper to us. Now when he uses this word church, he's using a Greek word for called out ones. 
The Greek word there is ekklesia. There are some churches around. There's a pretty uh, somewhat famous one in Houston, if you're from the Houston area at all, church called ekklesia. And it, it, so their church's name is church, really. I mean, that's, but called out ones. And that's what he's using here. This, it, this Greek word that was used in, in, at this time, though, was not a religious word at all. It was a word used for an officially summoned assembly of citizens. Officially summoned assembly of citizens. That is not proper sign language for those words, mind you. I was just doing hand motions for you to... Official. Somebody in charge said, this is the specific group. These are the people I am calling. These are the people that will be a part of that group. God has officially set apart who will be the church. All those who believe in Christ and trust him for their salvation. That is the official group summoned. If you're a believer in Jesus, you didn't come to Jesus on your own. The Holy Spirit worked in your heart, wooed you, the Bible says, called you. The gospel message worked in your life to change you, and you responded in faith. The officially, by God, summoned, called, wooed, saved, assembly. We are a group, a gathering of God's people. We are the people in Sulphur who gather as the first Baptist church. But that's all we are. We are just a group of people who have taken a name to distinguish us by location and possibly other distinctions from other churches in the area. We are that group of believers, the ones that call themselves First Baptist Church. We are the officially summoned assembly of citizens. Well, the very word citizen carries with it responsibility. We know as citizens of the U.S., we have a responsibility. Some have taken the responsibility to further lengths, like serving in public office or serving with the military. We as citizens consider it, consider it our responsibility, many of us, to, to vote when that opportunity comes up. As a citizen, if you get a jury summons, you have to go unless there are some extenuating circumstances that don't allow you to and they let you off the hook. Otherwise, you are required to do it as a citizen. You have responsibility. You have an individual responsibility. You know, it's not just, um, it's not just that you, somebody's phone's going off and I thought it was mine and I thought I'd turned mine off, but it's, it's Edda's. Uh, you have individual responsibility as a citizen. If there's trash on the side of the road to, and you're walking by, pick it up, put it in a trash can. Don't wait for somebody else. That's our individual responsibility. That's who we are as a church, the officially summoned assembly of citizens in God's kingdom. That's us. But when he uses ecclesia, when he uses these called out ones, there's even a deeper meaning. That's what it meant to the Greeks. But this is the word that is people of God in the Old Testament. 
So now he's taken this word that the Greeks understood one way, which is very, was what this church was mostly made up of, and uses a word from the Old Testament that was used actually whether the people of God in the Old Testament were gathered or not. See, it, the, the, the people of God, the ecclesia, didn't just mean they were the ecclesia when they gathered for worship, but at any point in time, wherever they might be, however they may be traveling at that moment, they were still the people of God because they were citizens of God's kingdom. So Paul now has talked about the people. They said they were a called out group, and that called out group, he uses intentionally a word in the Old from, the, from the Old Testament, from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to mean people of God. Did Paul stumble across this? Absolutely not. Paul knew exactly what he was doing. He is calling a group of Christians, which at this point, point, and I'm not going to say this dogmatically because I don't remember, at this point I'm not sure they are, they have been called Christians yet. Somebody smarter than me help me out. I'm looking at Andy Buckley because he is automatically the person I think of is smarter than me. Huh? Uh, so it, it, I know they, they originally in Acts were called people of the way. That's what they were called. And it was later on that they were called Christians as a negative term. Oh, look at those little Christs. Those, did I hear somebody say something? Or did y'all cough? Okay, um, when I ask a question and y'all cough or something, I think you're answering my question and, and I'm getting old and, you know, can't hear things well. So it's a, it, it become, first is a negative term and then they begin to wear that as a badge. But but regardless of when that happened, he is calling out this group of Christians, God's people. Now imagine what that meant to them. These, these Gentiles, these Greeks, primarily, who, who are part of this church and have heard the message that Paul preached and have come out of pagan religion, uh, religions where the gods did not really care about them at all, they were merely pawns for their pleasure and, and, and whatever else, and... and now, Paul is using this term, you are God's people. You, uh, people of God, but people belonging to God. That was huge for them. We're not, just, uh, we're not just pieces in this cosmic game that these powerful, not all powerful, but powerful gods are playing in their lives and playing with our lives. No, we are we belong to somebody. We are precious treasures of God. It was huge for them, but it was especially huge for the few Jews that were probably in the church. They caught this real quick. When Paul wrote the letter, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, to the church, and he said, you ecclesia, you people of God, you Old Testament people of God, wait, the Gentile believer in Jesus, is, got, he got the same title I got? That's wild. It caused problems in some churches. It, it caused some conversations in the Jerusalem church. But that's what he's telling them. 
Look, look at it from a, a little different perspective. He's calling a group of mostly Gentiles God's people, a name reserved for the covenant people. You are now God's covenant. You are now the one to whom the promises apply. All those Old Testament promises, you are now part of that. We sing a deeply theological song about that, and we've been singing that song for a lot of years. You know it. You could sing it right now. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Deeply theological. Yeah, right arm. Yeah, we're not going to do all that. (laughs) But we are now grafted in, Paul says in other places. We are part of that people of God. And in the, in, even in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, he used, the, from our memory verse, loved by God, he used the word election, which are also Old Testament words that were used first for the people of God in the Old Testament. We are the church. This was earth-shattering for Paul to say. For Paul to admit, let's not miss that Paul had to wrap his mind around this because some 15, 20 years earlier, he was killing Christians for being atheists, actually no, polytheists, for worshiping a God other than Yahweh, or at least he was agreeing to putting them to death, rounding them up so so that they couldn't, uh, so that they would be put to death. Then Paul goes on, to the church, he says, in uh, God our Father. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But he is indicating this is a different ecclesia. Y'all are different from every other called out group. The city, the, 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 the government may call you out for jury duty. But that's not the same as being called out for Jesus. Well, he's going to talk about the differences. Uh, there are about to be a lot of words on the screen. Go ahead to the next slide, please, uh, Pat. Thank you. It's a lot of words. There, uh, this is the Baptist faith and messages explanation of the church. The Baptist faith and message is what we as a church ascribe to. It's what generally all Southern Baptist churches generally ascribe to. It sets out our beliefs, sets out how we believe believe things. It sets out our doctrine. And this is what it says. I cannot read that on the back screen. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous, we, we make our own rules, but they follow the Bible, it says that too, local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, that would be the Lord's Supper and baptism, uh, uh, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible, your citizens with responsibility, is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. 
The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is why we have to be careful, that last sentence at the bottom that's set apart, that we don't get focused on the church too much as a building. We see us ourselves as a body of believers, but we are part of the worldwide, all the way back to Jesus, body of believers, the church. We are some blinks in that timeline of the gospel handed faithfully down from one generation to the next. The church. Paul says all of that when he wrote to the church. I know most of you got it immediately. You, you figured all that out. There's just a couple of you I'm helping this morning with this. And then he says what the church is. I I told you, it's not just any called-out group. It's a special called-out group in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church To the church in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to focus on our Father at the moment. That, as far as the the people he was writing to were concerned, uh, that would have not needed any explanation. But for us this morning... I want to jump to the doctrine of Christ, the second part of the message, the Christ. By the way, I'm not cutting off in the middle. I got time. The Christ. That little preposition in the scripture, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in. In Greek, that one little word, it would be spelled E-N if we were transliterating it, can have 12 different nuances of meaning. Two letters, 12 meanings. Okay? So when we start to say, well, what does it mean to be in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's just stick with that the church is God's and Christ's. For this morning, that's what we're going to move forward with, and that's all we're going to move forward with. The church is God and Christ's. It could mean more than that, but it certainly does not mean less. This one preposition, I-N in English, E-N in Greek, has two objects. What are you talking about, Michael? Look at it. In God our Father, that's the first object of the preposition, Y'all remember this from, like, grammar school, right? Object of a preposition. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It would not have been uncommon, and it would have been clearer if he had some other meaning for him to say, in God our Father and in in, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. If he'd put a preposition in there twice, Michael, why does that matter? Why are you talking about this? Oh, beloved, y'all, it matters. Because when Paul says, in God and Christ, he is combining the two objects of one preposition. God is, uh, Paul is saying that one preposition means both of these at the same time. He is saying that these two are the same thing. He is, 
in his world, in the world of Judaism, he is, by his use of one preposition instead of two prepositions, and according to the Jews, he is promoting heresy, duotheism, two gods. Don't miss that. Don't miss that to some people he's saying God is a God, Yahweh is a God, and Jesus is a God. Now, for us, we're like, yeah. But no, it wasn't just yeah for Paul. Again, this is the guy who would have never called Christians people of God because they were anti-God as far as he was concerned. So he's already, you know, taken some incredible leaps from where he was. And now he's saying, not only are they people of God, they're people of God and Jesus. Because Jesus is also God. He is blowing their minds right now. Now, it, 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 it is no struggle for him to write this. He's not sitting there going ag- and agonizing and thinking, uh, woo, if I write this, I'm going to... I mean, that ship has sailed a long time ago. Paul has uh, absolutely zero cares about what anybody thinks of his view of Christ at this point, except for Christ himself. So Paul is writing this to him, to them, and he's telling them that Jesus is God. Unequivocally, without question, no hesitation or explanation. Michael, you're preaching a 35, 40-minute sermon on this. Paul says nothing about it. You're, you're right. He says nothing here. Now, in other letters, he's going to explain some of this. In, in Romans, he's going to explain some of it. In Corinthians, he's going to explain it a little bit. In other places, he's, Ephesians, he's going to give us, he's going to flesh it out some. But right now, at this point, Paul gives no explanation. Why? Because the church assumed it as well. He already taught them this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. You know how I know? Because he put Lord in front of it. They needed no teaching on the fact that Jesus is Lord because they knew that Jesus is Lord. But that title for Lord, again, we go back to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the one that Greek-speaking Jews would have used, the way English-speaking Christians use a an English translation of the Greek New Testament. Greek-speaking Jews used a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And when they translated Yahweh, they put in the word Lord. And Paul says, Yahweh, Lord, now applies to Jesus as Lord. Well, we could have quite a conversation about what Yahweh meant and what, but let's just go with what God told Moses at the burning bush when he said, my name is Yahweh, and Moses said, I'm not good with the Hebrew. Uh, He spoke Hebrew. He was plenty good with it. But he's like, what exactly does that mean? I am what I am. I am am eternal. I'm that, and I'm now, and I'm I'm later. I am everything. And Paul says, so is Jesus. So to to call Jesus something less than God would have been uh, unthinkable for Paul. Something that would have been unthinkable for him to have said just a few years earlier. That Jesus is divine and human. 
Now again, we as believers who some of us maybe have heard these stories forever, read these lessons a number of times, maybe we're kind of new to it and this is blowing your mind a little bit to hear it described in such a way, but generally we as Christians are kind of ho-hum about the fact that Jesus is also God. We, we take the divinity or the deity and humanity of Christ as well as the Trinity as givens. That's just what we are taught. That's just what we know. But that hasn't always been the case. And, and honestly, it isn't even now the case for everyone calling themselves Christians. There are churches that are oneness churches. They don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one. I want to talk about that a little bit as we move forward. But it has been a discussion for nearly 2,000 years. Exactly what does that mean for Jesus to be God, to be human and divine at the same time? In 325 AD, they had the Nicene Creed. Church leaders got together and said, how are we going to explain this thing? we got people asking questions. Not only do we have people asking questions, we got people saying some crazy things about who Jesus is. How are we going to codify this so that it's both understandable and accurate and not heretical, not against the Bible? 325, they got together and did that. 381, they wrote the enlarged Nicene Creed because that was good, but we still got some questions. And then in 451, they wrote the Chalcedonian Creed. And here's where I put a whole bunch of words on the screen again. Because I want you to hear, see this and, and hear the way that they try to explain that Jesus is human and divine at the same time. Because I don't want us to be ho-hum about Jesus being God. Again, we have a confident stand on our faith because we stand confidently on certain doctrines. There are some things that we go, eh, maybe, who knows? You know, we, we, we talked about that in 1 Thessalonians and what's going to happen at the end. Huh, maybe, who knows? That's not a doctrine upon which we build our faith. But who Jesus is, that absolutely matters to our faith. So the Chalcedonian Creed says, We then... Following the Holy Fathers, they're talking about the Nicene Creed and the enlarged Nicene Creed, all with one consent teach men to confess one and the same Son. Let me pause there for just a second. I hope this confuses you. Well, Michael, that's a dumb statement to make when you're trying to explain things. No, I'm not trying to explain it. That's, that's where we mess up. You know, I've told you I'll never preach on the Trinity. Uh, well, I won't say never, but I'm not going to do it by choice unless the Lord tells me. Same thing about the humanity and divinity of Jesus, because we can get in trouble. So it should be confusing, because believers, there are some things we just have to take by faith and go, I don't get this, but this is what Scripture teaches, so I'm moving forward with it. So, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead, as a part of the Trinity, and also perfect in manhood. Okay, so we've got the first explanation or description of Jesus being two in one. Perfect in Godhead and perfect in manhood. Truly God 
and truly man of a rational soul and body. Rational in this case being something that, that is, is, is tangible. You can touch it. It's a, like you can't touch its soul, but it, it's part of him. Moving on. Coessential with the Father, according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us. I ain't going to try to explain those two words to you. Look them up. According to the manhood. But he is still up there with God, unified with him, and yet unified with us in our humanity. In all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, the Trinity, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood. Anytime he's talking about the manhood, he's talking about his humanity. He's talking about time, anytime he says the Godhead, he's talking about the Trinity. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, divine and human, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one in the same Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers, Nicene Creed, has handed down to us. That's a lot. It's a lot of words that say a lot of things that sounds like they repeat themselves and say one thing and then contradict the thing. Yes, you're exactly right. Because our human minds cannot grasp who God is and how he became flesh, why he would die for us, how our salvation happens, what, what forgiveness, what's the transaction in the spiritual realm that occurs. We can't grasp that. We want to be as close to understanding God and Jesus and the things of Scripture, the things of our faith as possible. But as this statement shows us, Sometimes, no matter how many words, and, and then there are more, and then they'll write books, and then they'll write more books, and, and, and there'll be some more books about those books, and then, then because of those books, you have to write some more, and on and on it goes, try to understand our Savior. What does this, let's, can we simplify it a little bit? Yes. Jesus is. What do we know that Jesus is? And these are going to pop up uh, automatically, and I'm going to just work through them quickly. He is truly God. He is truly man. One of my former pastors said the only 200% person that ever lived, 100% God and 100% man. He is the eternal Son, second person of the Trinity. He is Jesus Christ, the human that we know. He is one person. One person, but two natures. Well, what does two natures mean? 
It means those two natures are inseparable. They are both forever. They are distinct, yet they are whole. They are unchanged by coming together. God and human in one doesn't change either one of those. They don't mix, they don't blend, they, they don't get to where you can't pull apart the other, but you also aren't confused by, they're not confused among each other, but yet you can't divide them, and he is sinless. Well, that's what Jesus is. Well, a heresy then would be everything Jesus is not. But heresies always happen when we attempt to explain Jesus' divinity and humanity. That's why the, they wrote the Nicene Creed and the large Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed. Because they were trying to explain this thing and this guy tried to do it and boy he messed up. And this guy tried to do it and he... And this try, guy tried to do it and really why is he even trying? Because the guy just blew it. And this guy... And so they had to come together and say let's try to do this right. So what is Jesus not? Jesus is not merely a man. That's one of the heresies that was prominent in the early days before the Nicene Creed. Jesus was just human. Nothing. I mean, he was, he was special and like, like he was super nice and he was better than everybody else, but he was just a man. That's a heresy. We do not believe that. He was only divine. He wasn't human at all because flesh is bad and that we can't have that. So he was all divine, all God, but not human. He was a spirit probably or something like that. Nope, that's a heresy. He was born human, but at his baptism, when the Holy Spirit came down, then he became divine. That's what did it. No, because then we got some major issues with all the before stuff. And a lot of what scripture says. He was the earthly mode of God. This is where oneness religions, oneness faiths come in. Before AD, BC, uh, 4 BC when Jesus was born or whatever. That, that God was in one mode. And then when Jesus was born, he was in the, the Jesus mode, the human mode, the son mode. And then he ascended and the Holy Spirit came down. And that's his third mode. It wasn't three persons of the Trinity. It was one God showing up in three different ways at different times. That's difficult when, well, there's a lot of scripture against that. He's a created divinity. He is a God, but he's not God, God. God created him sometime in the past. That's a heresy. That's Arianism, uh, if, you, if you want your, your, your big word. He is God in a flesh suit. He is God, this spirit came down and he put on a human body, and inside that human body is God. So it's two, it's dualistic, it's, it's, it's the God spirit inside human flesh. Well, see, there's division there that we don't, that you can't have. He's a, he's a peanut M&M. Now, I know some of y'all like M&Ms even more than I do, and you like those nasty peanut M&Ms crazy. Don't worship them. They're not God. And that's also not what I mean. A peanut M&M is two things in a skin. 
It's a peanut, and it's chocolate wrapped in a skin. Well, there are those that say that it is human Jesus, God, uh, a spirit God, wrapped in skin. Different from God putting on a flesh suit. It's, that's one God in, in one human. This is human and God wrapped in this coating, uh, the candy coating that does melt in your hand. Jesus is not a peanut M&M. Or they say that he was born human and over time as he learned obedience, there's some phrases in scripture like that, learned obedience, he became divine over time until he became so divine, God said, all right, time to come home. All right. All of those are heresies. All of those are attempts, sometimes in good faith, probably often in good faith, of explaining who Jesus, uh, to explain who Jesus is and failing miserably at it. I, 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 every year I, at St. Patrick's Day, I post a video on Facebook of, of two Irish dudes and their kilty stuff, their, their, anyway, and, and, and it, it talks about all the different heresies, because when we try to explain God, the Trinity, Jesus' humanity, we can mess up. But if we're not careful, we say, but then we don't want to talk about it. No, this is one of the most important doctrines of our faith. We should read these things and go, there is no way I can understand this, and that's awesome. Because, y'all, if I've got a God I can understand, I don't need him. If I've got a God I can explain away through this logic, that logic, this egg with the shell and the yolk and the, and the white, which would be the peanut M&M. If I've got a peanut M&M for a God, I don't want a God I can eat. Or in this case, a God I don't even like. I want a God that I have to put my faith. The Baptist Faith and Message puts it this way. That's the next slide, Pat. A lot of words again. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose persons is affected the rec- in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return Paul's talking about that in the letters, right? He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. 
Now, if you will just, rem- just memorize the Nicene Creed, the Enlarged Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, and both articles of Baptist faith and message that I have shared with you today, you'll begin to get an understanding of what it is to be the church and how to explain who Jesus is to people. Or, rather than invent a heresy in trying to explain it, we just go by faith and say, you know what? I trust Jesus. Scripture says he's man and he's God. And I don't know how that works, but some days I can't even tie my shoes right, so that's not really surprising that I can't understand that. Some days, wordle makes me frustrated beyond belief. So if I'm going to try to figure out a five-letter word, I don't think I need to be working on how Jesus and his humanity and divinity exist together. I'm, I'm going to back off from that and say, Lord, reveal to me as I need to know who you are as it affects my sanctification, as it affects my growing in you. And Lord, shut my mouth if I start to say things about you that aren't true and would do more damage than good. So in all this talk of doctrine and creeds and Nicene and Chalcedonians and Baptist faith and messages and co-essentialness and etc., etc., Michael, what is your point? Here's the point. We are the church, God's called-out people. And we are a part of the church. It goes back to Jesus. And we, as the church, belong to God, our Father, and Jesus, our Messiah, who are one yet distinct. I was even hesitant to write that because I got to thinking, just like the writers of the creeds did, I left out too much. I also need to say this. I also need to say, no, my people, we need to say, I'm part of the church. This is Jesus' church. Jesus saved me because he's human and he's God. It's doctrine that will give us a confident stand. I'm not saying you have to confidently be able to explain all this stuff. Don't try to memorize those things. But what I want you to hear is my faith, my understanding of Scripture is sound, is strong. My foundation is sure. Because with all the statements, with all the creeds, with all the Baptist faith and messages we could put together, we stand first and foremost not on a creed, not on a confession, but on God's Word. And of all these things that we've put on the screen this morning, every one of them finds its basis here. So here's where we go. And when we go here, what we find is another doctrine of salvation. It it is a doctrine that explains to us how we can be saved. And we confidently stand on that doctrine. That doctrine is very well summed up by Romans 6.23. 
The doctrine that says that the wages of sin is death. That is a doctrine for us, that, that you are a sinner, and because of that sin, you will die. And in that death, that physical death, you will also experience a spiritual death in separation from God. That is a doctrine to which we hold. And we all have are, are, are heading that direction. The wages of sin, we are going to get them. Death. But we also hold to a, a further part of that doctrine, that the gift of God is eternal life. Part of that doctrine is that God did not want us to stay there. God provided a way. He wanted us to have a relationship with him. He did not want us to experience the wages of that death. That was God's plan, God's desire, not us. Remember, we are a, what did I say? Because even I forget what I say sometimes. We are a... An officially summoned assembly. We are God's group. He wanted us. And so he provided a way to officially summon us. A gift. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Ooh, there's that Lord again. God come to earth. In the form of the second son, putting on humanity, dying on the cross for our sins. The only reason we can have salvation is because Jesus was fully human. He represented us. But he was fully divine. He represented God. Nobody could pay the debt they owed God. No human could. But God could. But it didn't help us if God paid the debt... It had to be someone like us who also suffered under the debt, the curse of sin, like Jesus did as a human, suffering under the curse but never committing the sin. And he died for us so that we, when we are summoned officially, when the Holy Spirit draws us, we respond in faith to Jesus Christ and we experience salvation. That is the doctrine of salvation. Maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've, you've, you've gone to church. You've got some ideas. Maybe even you're sitting there. Y'all, this happens. I took theology classes at LSU, okay? It happens that there are people real interested in the Bible, but not interested in the faith. Not interested in the God of the Bible. You may thought have thought this sermon was awesome. You love all that knowledge and stuff and things and creeds and all that. I just don't believe any of it. Hear the Holy Spirit draw you this morning. Say it's a doctrine. It is strong. It is a foundation. It is important because the Jesus I talked about this morning that you found interesting is also the one who loves you enough to die on the cross for your sins. And you can come to him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you Show us in your words. Sometimes you show us a lot in just a few words. And, and I, really that's a great metaphor uh, because there was a lot in that little baby that was born 2,000 years ago. Helpless, crying, hungry. God in the flesh. Lord, we thank you for that gift the gift of eternal life that comes through that baby growing, always God, always human. 
taking on the responsibility that, that you had sent him for. Taking on our punishment for sin, being our substitute, fulfilling the obligation, rising again on the third day to prove that he was God, that all of his promises were true, to save our souls. God, thank you for that. God, help us to understand you better, know you more. We are never going to get it. But Lord, as we study, as we come to your word, as we are discipled, I, I thank you that we're never going to get it. That every time we think we've got that aha moment, you come back with, yeah, but did you see this? And we go, oh, man. Because, oh, man, the God of the universe wants a relationship with us. We love you and we praise you. We respond to your word in faith, asking you to change our hearts because of our time spent with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you have a next step to take this morning. Maybe you need to respond in, salvation, in, in faith to the salvation that's offered. The Holy Spirit's drawing you. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've accepted Christ, but you want to go public with your faith. Be baptized. One of the two ordinances that one of the screens talked about that we take part in. Maybe you just need to respond Maybe, maybe your view of Jesus, well, I'm glad he saved me, but it was just kind of weak, kind of small. Hey, nothing small about Jesus, nothing small about the God we serve. And you need to conform your life to him, submit to some things. Maybe you just need to join our church. Maybe you just need to pray about something. The front will be open to you if you want to come up here, ask you if you just kneel at your chair, if that's what you want to do. I'll be over here to my right to pray with you if you'd like that. Justin will be to my left. We have a couple of men in the back that would love to pray with you. We want you to respond today in whatever way the Lord is leading you. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship him as he works on our hearts this morning. And let's pray that he amazes us one more time with who he is.